But today I have up with me Evan, our own Evan, if you'd welcome him. I appreciate that. And because he pointed that out, he won't be up here for a while. Um, <laughs> our Advent theme is, th is that Advent, the coming of Jesus, changed everything. Last week, Grayson and I were able to talk about the way that it changed the life of Mary, how accepting the call changes our lives. And I hope we were able to make that story more real to you as we took a look at one of the characters in, in a bit more detail than we normally do. But I also want to invite you into this next sermon because what we talk about today, well, you're one of the players in the story. You're one of the characters in this tale. When I was a boy, we were very, very concerned about going to heaven. You might still be concerned about that, but here's the point. Heaven was a very distant, unseen land where Jesus lived and where those people that we loved who had died had gone. We wanted to go there. We wanted to go there and live forever. But in the Advent, we see a reversal of all of that because instead of us being good to go to heaven... Heaven came down to us. Heaven invaded us. And that's a very big rock dropped in a very small pond. The ripples and waves from that incident are still fanning out across the pond today. It is hard, I think, for Americans to consider what it means to live under a king, and, and to be honest, Western Europeans as well, because kings and queens are now more figureheads than they are uh, despots or dictators. Wow, what does it mean to be under a king? And in fact, you could even get a little chafing on that. I don't want to be under a king. 
stories told. This isn't on the notes, Evan. Get used to it. Um, <laughs> you're allowed to go off the notes too, by the way. It's, it, that's the fun bit. Anyway, um, stories told back in the Cold War days that uh, an American and a Russian were arguing about who was more free. And the American said, listen, I can go to Washington, D.C., get right in front of the White House and say, I hate Eisenhower. And the Russian said, I can do that. I can go to Red Square and say, I hate Eisenhower. The point, <clears throat> the point is that we, we sometimes have a hard time understanding the other person's point of view. When historians talk about groups of people, they have names for them and they have rules about who is what, whether you're a family group, a clan, a tribe, an ethnic group, or a nation, or a kingdom. To be a kingdom, there are four necessary parts. These are your irreducible minimums. These are the things you have to have or you don't have a kingdom. You have to have a king or a queen. It just means figure of, uh, of the state. You have to have a law, a people, and a territory. When Jesus arrived in Bethlehem, he came not only as Savior, but as Lord, King. The Jews thought he was coming just for them, and he was coming for them, but not just for them. His people would be all people. His territory would be all of the earth. And his law, well, we just went over that, the Sermon on the Mount. He would do it in three chapters, and then he would wrap it up with saying, love God and love others. The rich and powerful, they're part of the kingdom as well. We need to watch that sometimes because people will talk about, you know, we're the people and those rich people aren't the people. Jesus loved the rich people too. He loved the powerful people as well. He loved government officials. He loved the religious elite. But to be honest, it was that group that didn't like him, the government officials, the religious elite, with a few exceptions that are named. Even Jesus, uh, his own literal neighbors, had a hard time affirming his royalty. He just seemed to come from the wrong family, the wrong situation. But that wasn't all that it was. 
when you acknowledge somebody as king over your life, you are relinquishing some of your power. You are relinquishing some of your decision-making. You are allowing somebody else to change your life. God gave the Israelites a warning about this, if you remember, through Samuel, when they said, we want a king. And he said, you, if you get a king, he'll be able to control your daughters, your sons. He will be able to take the work that you do and give it to others. He will be able to do what he wants to do because he's king. Well, that was an earthly king, and that was dangerous. And the sad thing is, they still wanted an earthly king back then and in Jesus' time. So when Jesus comes, he's not the king they expected. He has a spiritual kingdom. His law is a spiritual law. And he just didn't match up to that. They wanted a king. But they wanted a king that agreed with them and did what they wanted him to do when they wanted him to do it. For example, we could do this with each group. The Pharisees wanted a king, but they wanted a Pharisee king. They wanted somebody who would confirm uh, or affirm what they already believed and did. Most of us, by the way, have that same issue. Most of us have problems dealing with the God who is because he's not the God we want. And as more than one poet has said, most of us worship a God that we see in the mirror every day. And he is the most powerful God in our life. Our own appetites and desires. But if Jesus is king, and if Jesus came, and he is, and he did, there's no room anymore for our little minor kingdoms and fights over territory. So what good is a king if he has a rebellious people, if he has a people who do not follow in his kingdom, if he has a people who do not ascribe to his law or his kingdom authority? Thankfully, the Lord Jesus does not have the same power constrictions that our earthly kings do. Whether he has a million people, a thousand people, or simply 12 apostles that follow him, he is the God that has the same power over the entire universe as any other king could ever hope to have. So do we expect him to be the king of every part of our lives? If we accept Jesus as king, we must expect that he is going to have to declare an edict over our lives and change every ounce of who we are to fall into this kingdom and fall into the pattern that he has set for us. The people of his day, like we said, was, were, were shocked. They didn't know how to deal with a king like this. As Evan said a while ago, you know, Gentile women, Samaritan women, lepers. He drives out demons, and yet he's shunned by his own people, his own hometown. He's just not who you expect. That's what we really need to get to. Jesus did not come to Bethlehem and be born to confirm everything we already felt and thought. When a king walks in, things change. How do we act as kingdom people? Remember we talked about that. Something has to be a law. What is our law? How do we behave? I'm a citizen of the United States, and that requires me to pay taxes. It requires me to behave in a certain way. I have a driver's license. How wise that was for the state of Tennessee, well, I'll leave it to you. But that requires that although I do believe that the left side of the road is far more comfortable, that's not where I'm allowed to be. It also means that since you are Americans, you don't know how to use roundabouts. So we're really even. 
but we're, we have to obey law because this is who we are. In the briefest of terms, we can say it this way. Kingdom people are to act like their king. They are to follow their king. If we submit to the kingdom of Christ, we have to allow him to invade our lives just as he invaded the earth. Lee Camp has a quote. Do we have that up? Great, thank you. The point of imitation of Jesus is found in a cross. It is the cross we are called to imitate, joyfully accepting suffering. By the way, I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not ready for that. I, I joyfully, I, oh, I love the blessing. I'm working on this. So if you're struggling with that, be aware you're not alone. Joyfully bearing the injustices and oppression and rebellion of the world, uh, our world because we are living according to the present and coming kingdom in the midst of a world still rebellious. There's a question from a well-known theologian scholar, Origen, and he says, what would happen if the disciples refused to act like Jesus? Many times we pose the question, what, would, what could happen if everyone acted like Jesus? What could happen if all of the disciples, all of the churches, all of these people who claim to be Christian really acted like him? But what will happen, what will change in the world if Jesus' people decide to stop acting like him? It's, um, it's, it's a frightening thing, but you know, we're not the only ones that think about this. A well-known atheist wrote, I think it was about six years ago, a book on why the world needs Christians. He got really attacked by his atheist friends, but he just laid it out. He said, who is it that goes into Africa and feeds the poor? And people would say, well, it's the governments. No, and he showed all the fraud there. Who goes there and binds the wounds? Who goes there and sets up orphanages? And, who, and it, one after another, he said, I don't, he kept saying, I don't believe in God. I don't believe their story, but the world needs them. I found that fascinating. There is a story that says Gandhi said, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. When I was researching for this sermon, I found that he almost certainly did not say that, that that had been attributed way after and probably a misquote. But he did from time to time say that he did not believe that Christians lived like the Christ that they said was their king. He most likely had a point where he was. My response is this, though. If Christians don't act like Christ, that's wrong. But if Christ is our king, we should answer this way. If you like our Christ but not our Christians, follow our Christ, not our Christians. Follow our God. Not only should kingdom people live sought-out lives, we should live in such a way, and I have to change the notes because I said, in such a way that people cannot help but to like Christians. But I think there's some, something so much more than just being liked by the world. There's something more about people being attracted to the way that Christians live because they set a standard for living. They set a standard for what life should look like and what life could be like for people. This freedom, this freedom without failure, this freedom without worry or care because they have a Lord Jesus Christ, this King who sets the standard for what life can be. True kingdom people act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before our Lord. Christians should live in such a way that people recognize that that's the only way you can live. Lee Camp, once again, has this, this great quote about living in such a way that you have to follow in this life that looks like no other. Um, but 
what really needs to happen here is the world must become dependent on kingdom people, but not just the kingdom people. They must become dependent on the king who is over these kingdom people. And, and let's, let's unpack that just a little bit. And I'm glad he went off the notes because I want to do a couple more sentences as well. Good on you, by the way. You're on your way to you know, complete disaster. Um, <laughs> which is my, which is my, my lane. Uh, anyway, uh, he talks about the world needs to become dependent upon us. And, that, and it does. And you, that may seem a strange question, or rather a, a strange statement. And I would submit that it's strange because we often bring our best in here. And the world doesn't know what we believe or how we love. If we love the world enough, the world would miss us when we're gone. We need to be the people when we walk into a room, light comes into the room. The room changes because we're in the room. My wife and I have, with our kids, when they were in the house, we had a rule, be the most polite people in the room. Be the kindest people in the room. We, we lost that battle in Colorado. We had neighbors. And our, our rule is you be, we're the best people on the block when it comes to loving and service. We could not outlove the people that lived next to it. Frustrated me, no end. No matter what we did, they came back, gave more, and gave better. For, for years, I'm looking at it, Cammie going, he's done it again. But I didn't have to talk to Niels, his, his first name is Niels, I didn't have to talk too much about his faith because he showed it. It's who he was. It's the way he lived his life. I'll come back to the notes and circle around here. I want to I tell you, I want to be a good person. You want to be a good person. We want to follow Jesus. We'll never be as perfect as him. If we could attain that perfection, we would not need a supernatural savior. But at the same time, that does not excuse us from facing him and kneeling before him as our king. I think we look upon the apostles with that sort of perfection that we expect because they lived with this Jesus who was right next to them, that sat in the boats with them, that fed the 5,000 with him and all these different things. And especially Peter, we look at him and we say, wow, how can you be so faithless? How can you lack so much faith in this Jesus, this king who is right next to you? But I think that there's something that's really important here. Although during Jesus' reign, these apostles seemed super wishy-washy. They weren't really, they didn't seem like they were living sold-out lives because they would question, oh, we fed the 5,000, but how can we feed 4,000? And Jesus is like, Do you, what? Are you, are you serious here? And he asks, he asks these questions, but in order for us to recognize what this change happened, Jesus was only with them for three years. He was only close to these people and walking alongside of them. They were only listening to this wisdom, witnessing these miracles for about three years. In order for us to live these sold-out lives, to fully fulfill our kingdom mission and our kingdom role, we must also give ourselves this same grace. To walk alongside him, to watch his miracles, to watch his wisdom, to watch the way these, these kingdom things should be imitated. Because these people, after they lived this life, they they met this point in which Jesus sacrificed himself and they said, this is what life is for. Because he is sacrificing himself, we will also seek out churches in the midst of religious oppression. We will seek souls to save when our fellow Jews speak against us. We will do more in the name of King Jesus, even when illness faces us, when imprisonment faces us, and then also when death comes in our face and attacks us. 
but we must not allow any part of this gospel to lay unheard or unwelcomed into our hearts. If we truly ascribe to this kingdom allegiance, we must allow the Holy Spirit to invade every ounce of our lives. If we want a life without failure, we found the king who can do that and the king that makes all things possible. Amid this culture when politicians make great promises and celebrities uh, have these great life-changing opportunities, and even when our fellow peers are saying that they will be the kings and queens of their own lives, we have to remember what Gabriel said to Mary again. And often quoted, Luke 1.37 is, for nothing will be impossible with God. But I think the NIV has a beautiful nuance to it that brings more of the context to the kingdom promises, which says, for no word from God will ever fail. I'm going to ask for, we're going to step down here and talk for a little bit while the team gets back in line. What Evan just said is very, very important. And, and Evan did an awful lot of work on this lesson, and I really appreciate that. Let's see, I'll pull that out. We are in a really bizarre time in our history. Let me just use you a couple of illustrations of the last week. Yesterday, for, and again, these are not political. We're just talking about the political world in which we are. A Washington Post uh, editor and reporter post, uh, tweeted a picture of a rally where the president was. And it just had uh, some people on the ground floor, and there were no seats, nobody in the seats above. And he was sarcastic about how nobody came to the rally. Hours and hours and hours later, he was busted because he took the picture before the rally started, hours before it started. Other people posted that the seats were full. Now, you might say, well, that's just like the left. The right plays its games as well. And that's what I'm talking about. The power games of this world never end. And they're getting worse. What would it be like if Christians looked at this and said, I, you know, if you get in a mudslinging contest and you win, you're still covered with mud. We will bow our knee to Jesus the Christ. He will be our Lord. He will be our King. None other will be our King. You might say, but then we will lose our influence in the world. I would submit to you that the closer you draw to political power, the less influence you have for Jesus Christ. The church has grown best when persecuted, when out of power. I think there's a lesson there. If we take the Lord at his word, we will not fail, for we have a king and he will save us. The Bible says in Romans 14, to their own master they will stand or fall, and they will stand, for he will make them stand. Would you stand with us, please, as we look at this? This is from the Mennonite Confession of Faith. It's a long one. The confession has 24 parts, and we're only putting up one paragraph of part 24. Mennonites, however, are related to us in religious history. We came from the same stream, the Anabaptist stream. This is how they look at their allegiance. We place our hope in the reign of God and in its fulfillment in the day when Christ, our ascended Lord, will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. He will gather his church, already living under the reign of God. That's what we've been talking about today. 
according to the pattern of God's future. Let me go back. He will gather his church already living under the reign of God according to the pattern of God's future. We believe in God's final victory in the end of this present age of struggle between good and evil, in the resurrection of the dead, and in the appearance of a new heaven and new earth. There the people of God will reign with Christ in justice, righteousness, and peace. That last sentence, I want you to notice the location. We do not reign here. We are not kings here. We have a king here. There we reign. Here we submit. Amen, church? Amen.